0: I get to be the one that gets to introduce you to, I think, the new list of newlyweds for Ted and Sarah Harris, who are in Arizona. This is their daughter, Alex, and her new husband, Tori, and I trust that Ted and Sarah are awake and watching this morning. Uh, We have been going through a series in the book of Nehemiah. Travailing prayer. I got to join this morning with the crowd of people who were up here and uh, a sister in Christ, who probably I'm imagining has walked with Jesus longer than I've been alive, put her hand over on my shoulder as she was praying, and these folks are praying powerful prayers, asking God to do powerful things. Travailing prayer and waiting for the Lord's response often in tears, as Pastor Eric shared, defining our current reality. This is the path that we've traveled through the book of Nehemiah in the past several weeks. Nehemiah is a man who left the city of Babylon to chase after God's mission of rebuilding the wall around the city of Jerusalem. And there were many people who went with him. Now, I hope you enjoy Old Testament history because we're going to do some work uh, in Old Testament history this morning. There were actually three groups of people who went back to the promised land over the course of 90 years. One group goes back in 538 B.C. and they start to rebuild the temple. By 516 B.C., the temple is finished. A second group of people then go back to the promised land with Ezra around 458 B.C. And Ezra was the one who helped to sort of restart the temple worship, helped to reengage the people in following the law in Israel. And then a third group of people go back with Nehemiah, who's instrumental in rebuilding the wall around Jerusalem. And then toward the end of Nehemiah, we also read about how he helped Ezra help the people get back into something of a covenant relationship with God. The book of Esther then fits into the context of Ezra. So, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther give us a picture of life for the Israelites, both in captivity and in the return of the exiles into the Promised Land. And today we're going to pick up in the story of Nehemiah, a man who counted the cost and walked forward in obedience. It is possible that as we've gone through this sermon series, that some of us actually stayed behind in Babylon. Let me explain what I mean by that, by asking you to imagine ourselves as Israelites during the captivity. In 586 BC, our country fell to the Babylonians. They destroyed our temple, they captured our king, they gouged out his eyes and they carried him off. They burnt our capital city, they took most of our people into captivity in the land of Babylon. As we walked across the promised land that God had given us, we came to the Jordan River. our ancestors had actually crossed this river before but they were coming into the land. They had been enslaved in Egypt, and God delivered them through Moses and Joshua. And when they came, God told them very clearly that they would stay in the land if they followed him. And God made a covenant with his people. If they obeyed, they would be blessed. They would have the land. They would be protected. They would have God's incredible presence in their midst. And above all the surrounding nations, they would be God's treasured possession. God also told them if they did not follow, they would suffer greatly. They did not follow. So northern kingdom Israel was destroyed by the Assyrians. Over a hundred years before southern kingdom Judah fell. So those of us in the south were warned. Our prophet Jeremiah had told us... God is giving you time to repent, but we didn't. And we then watched in horror as the Babylonian empire grew and it swallowed up the Assyrian empire and then the Babylonians set their gaze on Jerusalem and Judah. They were coming. Their might was no match for our God, but we weren't relying on our God. In fact, God was sending the Babylonians because of our disobedience to him. So in 586 B.C., our people were taken into captivity. I don't remember those days. I wasn't born yet. In fact, most of us weren't born yet. We were born in Babylon. It was sort of home to us. It's all we knew. It wasn't a terrible place to live. It was a powerful place. We lived in a wealthy country, a place of luxury and privilege. We had plenty of food to eat. We had big cities to visit. We had peace from nations around us because we lived in the mighty Babylon. The prophet Isaiah even called Babylon the jewel of kingdoms. Babylon was a pretty sinful place, though. They chased money. They indulged in every godless form of pleasure, The people were arrogant, proud, self-sufficient men and women. And in Babylon, there was no shortage of idols to worship. Pick an idol and you could find a place to worship. It wasn't like in Israel where we had one God, Yahweh, the one true living God. The worship of the gods in Babylon was mostly about self. Me at the center. It was about pleasure and status. Some people, like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, they stayed faithful to Yahweh. But many of us didn't. Now, it wasn't like the Babylonian gods seemed real to us. We just went along with it because this was our culture, this was our society, this is where we lived, this was home, this is what we knew. This is what everyone around us was doing. We've been hearing stories about the Persian Empire growing in power. And the Persians actually came and conquered the Babylonians around 539 B.C. The Persian Empire's strategy for conquered people was different, though. The Babylonians would conquer and disperse the people, take them out of their lands. The Persians came along and said that they want to send people back to their homelands. They actually wanted the people to go back and re-engage in life in their place, even in their worship. It was their way of keeping the peace. So Cyrus, the king of Persia, told our people, the Israelites, they could return home to the land that God had promised our fathers. We could go back. We could rebuild our temple. We could rebuild our cities. We could go back and live again in the land God gave us and we could establish our worship to Yahweh. King Cyrus even promised protection and resources for us to do it. Later, it was King Artaxerxes who sent Nehemiah and his crew back to build the wall. And so here I am today with a decision to make. Should I stay? Should I go? No one was forcing us to go back. It actually seems pretty easy just to stay here. And While I know it's not the same as living in Israel, and I know that my relationship with God is not the best here in this position, this is where I am comfortable. I've got a job. I've got a family, a home to live in a lot of conveniences in the Babylonian Empire. I'm afraid that if I step out with the group going back to the promised land, I might have to give up some of my comforts. I might face some difficulties. It's going to cost me greatly to step out and engage in God's mission to go back and restore the temple and the wall in the city of Jerusalem. So, let someone else do it. Let someone else engage in the mission of God. Let someone else rebuild all of those things. Let someone else give the money to make it happen. Let someone else deal with the challenges. I might have some regrets for not stepping out in faith, but at least I'll be comfortable. At least I'll feel safe. And I'll be mostly accepted by the people around me who are doing the same things I am at least I can have my things and do what brings me enjoyment. I think it's settled. I'm going to stay here in Babylon. Eagle, as we have listened to this sermon series and been invited to step out of the places that we've known, if you find yourself saying, I think I'm just going to stay put, then praying and waiting and examining is not going to lead to action and obedience. You can't say yes to the mission of God until you are willing to leave your comfort spot, until you care more about glorifying the Lord, until you care more about the people that your mission is going to affect and impact, maybe for eternity, than you do about caring for yourself. You and I are living living on a mission right now. We all are you are living on a mission right now. If you succeed in the mission that you are currently living on, will anyone other than you be impacted? And will the Lord's kingdom grow? And you and I can't say yes to God's mission if we don't count the cost and determine that obedience to the Lord is first and foremost regardless of what is required and regardless of outcome. We don't say yes to Jesus because we think everything's going to work out the way we want it to work out. We say yes to Jesus and we follow regardless of outcome. Turn in your Bible to Luke chapter, or sorry, Nehemiah chapter 2. We pick up where Ted left off after last week. Verse 17, Nehemiah is talking. Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in? Jerusalem lies in ruin, and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. They replied, Let us start rebuilding So they began this good work. Nehemiah had clearly heard from the Lord about the mission at hand. The walls are destroyed around the city, and these walls aren't like our decorative landscape wall, right? They're not even like a retaining wall around a pond. These walls are the main defense around the city, the capital city at that. They had a strong defensive role as well as a strong psychological role. To communicate to those outside of the city you don't want to mess with us and to communicate those inside of the city that we are protected. Nehemiah is going to rebuild it. And because Nehemiah is going to rebuild the wall, a city is going to be transformed. And I want you to plant this seed somewhere in your heart right now. Because Nehemiah obeyed the mission of God, a city was transformed. Most of us don't think like that. We're we're looking at little microcosms because of Nehemiah's obedience to the mission of God. An entire city is going to be transformed, and it's going to come at a great cost. Verse 19. But when Sambalot the hornet, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you are doing? They asked. Are you rebelling against the king? I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding, but as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historical right to it. Sambalot, governor of Samaria, he's named after the Babylonian moon god whose name means sin gives life. So sin had a baby and his name was Sambalot. This is the guy who's opposing Nehemiah. He has Tobiah with him. He has Geshem with him. These are rulers in this area. These guys saw the wall around Jerusalem as a threat to their kingdoms, to their positions of power. A strong Jerusalem meant less for them. An opposition often comes when someone's position is threatened. And the enemy knows how to use that to cause many people to sit on the sideline. So here's Nehemiah. He's left the comforts of Babylon. He's committed to accomplishing the task the Lord gave him. And the challenges begin. For some of us, it's the point where we gave up. Because we actually said yes to the mission of God. We stepped out in faith. And we got dinged for it. We decided not to do that again. Through true, real-life experiences, we have become now convinced that Jesus actually knew what he was talking about, when throughout the New Testament, he says things like, the world's going to hate you, and there's not going to be a place for you to lay down your head, and you're not going to have a home, and when you go to your hometown, they're going to reject you. And you're going to face persecution. And in this world, you will experience trouble. Like, we heard all those things. And somehow, eh, not me. Not in Whitestown. Not in Zionsville. Not with what I've got. There's no way. And we stepped out in faith. We said yes. And life happened. And we realized Jesus knew what he was talking about. And I imagine the father just <clears throat> looking at us and saying, guys, I told you, it's not gonna be easy. If easy is what you wanted, then, then that was in Babylon. Nehemiah convinced that God would give success, encourages the people, and they began the work. I think this is where things get fascinating in Nehemiah chapter 3. Nehemiah chapter 3, so many people engage in this work, you can't count them all, don't try. They've got this massive wall project that they break down into these small sections, and chapter 3 kind of lays out for us what, what happens next. No one person had to build the entire wall. No one person in this church has to reach the entire world for Christ. We don't even have to reach all of Indianapolis for Christ. There are good brothers and sisters in the Lord who also have responsibility to reach their portion. You and I are responsible for a part of the mission of God to reach the world for Christ. You and I need to engage in our part, in your family, in your neighborhood, in your relationships. If you're not engaging in the mission of God in your family, your neighborhood, and your relationships, God has to send a missionary to do what you want. God will have to send a missionary into my neighborhood to reach the people who live right around me. And so we're counting on each other to do our part. Eagle's being counted on to do our part. It's not the whole, but it is our part. And we need to take responsibility for that. Because the genius of our God is that God scattered his people across the globe so that we would be salt and light in all the places that we go. And God's got some of us living in this neighborhood. And God has some of you living in neighborhoods closer to Zionsville. He's got some of you living in Brownsburg. He's got some of you living all over this place. So that salt and light can go where we go. So that when we hit the road, Jesus hits the road and Jesus goes where we go. And we take responsibility for our portion of God's mission. And as we do, I want to challenge us with two thoughts that come out of Nehemiah chapter 3. Neither one of them is going to be terribly comfortable. But again, comfort was back in Babylon. The first one comes out of Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 5. There's a lot of big names in here. I'm probably going to skip over some of them. The next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa, but their nobles would not put their shoulders to the work under their supervisors. They're too high up. They're too important. The work is too dirty. It's too hard. It's actually lowly work. I don't think we need to dwell here very long. But we need to consider whether or not we found ourselves in a place where, in order to say yes to God's mission, we would have to put our life ambitions on hold. We got too much going on. Accomplish too much to stop the pursuit that I'm on. We need to be careful that we have not somehow found ourselves above the work that Jesus has in front of us to do. Because kingdom work often puts us in lowly places with marginalized people and calls us to serve at great personal cost. I don't know exactly what that looks like for you. It may be as simple as helping out around the church, right? When was the last time you cleaned a toilet that you didn't either own or get paid to clean? When was the last time you ran a vacuum to help out? It could be that you are setting aside your round of golf or your regular rounds of golf in order to go help your neighbor. Or it could be something incredibly significant. Like you said, no to the latest career advance because it was going to cost you the space in your life to say yes to Jesus. What work of the kingdom are you too important to engage in? Or maybe where have you found yourself looking down on someone in the work that they were doing? What are you too good or too important or too educated or too credentialed to do? Those who reflect King Jesus grab a towel and they serve. We don't size up the assignment based on our status or our achievements and accolades. We grab a tool and we start building the wall. Now, I'm pretty sure that applies to almost nobody in this room, so that's good. Here's what does apply. I want to flip this completely upside down and give you the beautiful side of this whole story, and that is this. How awesome is it that God can use all of us? Because we live in a place, and I mean like this geographic place, full of tremendously talented and accomplished people. Elite people who do elite things. All you have to do is sit through an awards ceremony at the local high schools. And you're like, wow. You did what? And now you get what? We don't have to be elite to be asked by the king to engage in this work. And you and I, no matter where we've come from, no matter what we've screwed up in the past, no matter where we find ourselves, no matter how much money you have in the bank, you and I can actually be great at serving King Jesus. Not average, not mediocre. We can actually be great at serving King Jesus. How many of us somewhere along the way of life have said, I'll never be great at anything? Well, the invitation of our king is you can be great at serving King Jesus. Parents, what if this is what we champion with our children? With greater intensity than we do some sort of academic accomplishment or athletic scholarship opportunity. And the schools aren't going to give you anything for it. No awards, no money, no scholarships. But the king of kings will give crowns and eternal riches to all who seek him first. And we can be great in the kingdom of Jesus as we say yes to him. Second thing I want you to notice. I'm gonna bounce around a few verses. I'm gonna skip a bunch of names. Verse 10, adjoining this. Jedediah made repairs opposite his house. Over in verse 28, above the horse gate, the priests made repairs each in front of his own house. Verse 30, next to him, a guy repaired the next section. And next to him, another guy made repairs opposite his living quarters. You notice anything? They are building the wall directly in front of their homes which means several significant things that you can dig into later, but I wanna focus on one. Something significant had to change in their lives in order for them to start building. Because if I understand the chronology of the history of this place, it was devastated a long time before all these people came back to live there. Which means when they got back and they went back into those homes, that wall was torn down when they arrived and it's been torn down for a long, long time. And apparently nobody's doing anything about it until Nehemiah shows up and he rallies the people. The status quo, pre-Nehemiah, was not getting the job done. It wasn't enough. Something had to change. Something has to change today. There's likely a part of the mission that is directly in front of us that we have not said yes to. Of all the things that Pastor Eric has presented to us in the last several weeks about the stirring of the Spirit of God in our midst and where that might take us, and there are many things that have yet to be presented and I don't have any insider information on things here at Eagle, but I do know that in the kingdom of God, the spirit of God is up to incredible things. It's highly likely that you have work across the street from your house that needs done. Something's got to change. Because it's possible you've been living there for a while and the work's are always been there. And we haven't been able to say yes or willing to say yes. Something's got to change. There are lost people everywhere around us who are not being reached. Something has to change. There are churches that need to be planted to reach people who are lost that are not being planted. Something has to change. I work with church plants and church planters. So I'm going to geek out. For a minute, we're going to throw a slide up here that I want to show you. You're not going to <clears throat> capture everything that's on this slide. I want, I want to just point out the highlight. 2010, we've got a ratio of 1 to 1,000 churches to people. 2050, if we're going to keep up with population and have the same ratio, we need 400,000 churches, which means between 2010 and 2050, we need to net 2,100 churches a year. So you close some, you open some. As a nation, we need to net 2,100 churches a year. 2014 was a stellar year of church planting in the United States, and we netted 300. One of our best years, and we're 1,800 short. Friends, this is about keeping up with population. This is not about doing anything related to the decay that we're experiencing in our society and culture right now. Something has to change. The status quo is not getting it done. Now, let me excite a few of you in this room. The next church plant coming out of Eagle Church may be through the leadership of someone sitting here today the next church plant to come out of Eagle Church may be from someone you're going to share the gospel with tomorrow. You ever think about that? Nehemiah built a wall and a city was transformed. I'm not going to give you my whole thought, but I think that if the Lord can use us to reach one person in my neighborhood, it's going to domino and the whole place is going to change. Pull me aside, I'll give you the details of that thought later. There are missionaries who need to be sent out who are not stepping up to go. Something has to change. So what's going to change in your life? Where will you free up the resources? And that's a broad word. Where will you free up the resources to engage What will you cut out to free up the time for you to engage? What will you say no to in order for you to say yes to Jesus? What will you let go of from your past so that you could step into your future with the Lord? If we don't change something significant, we're not going to be able to say yes to something significant. I feel like I end up at a lot of fundraising events. And when they give you the chart and they tell you, How much you can give. You ever pay attention to that little asterisk they often put on there? That reminds us what? How much money you probably spend every day on coffee. And I sit at those things and I'm like, listen, that's all you want? Here's a hundred bucks, that'll cover me for a year. You're not asking me to do something significant. You're not calling me to make a significant change. The consequences of us not making a significant change will be that the status quo is maintained. And the shift toward evil and destruction around us must be met with the power of God working through the people of God to build the kingdom of God. I don't know who to give credit to for what I'm about to say, but I didn't come up with this. Guy said, we are not living through a time of change. We are living through a changing of the times. Where we find ourselves, this is not a slight little course correction. We are living through a changing of the times. This is a period of history they will look back on and say, and then something significant shifted. We might even say something significant broke. The church is not even coming close to keeping up with population growth, let alone societal decay, which means we are not making a significant impact on the lostness around us. Nehemiah wasn't just taking an extra turn in the nursery, although I'm sure our nursery folks would love that. He wasn't just baking a cake for the neighbor, although that's a great start. He is building a massive 50-foot-high, 12-foot-thick, two-mile wall, under physical and verbal assault from people who hated him. Some of you know what's coming. The tool in one hand and the weapon in the other. It was a big yes. And it could have easily cost him his life. Remember, the guy had a squishy little thing going on as cupbearer to the king. And because all the people jumped in and they all did their part, they get it done. Do you know how long it took? Tell me. How long did it take them to build this massive wall? Anybody? 52 days. That means we could rally around this project and be done by Thanksgiving. Because when the Lord gets involved, that's the kind of stuff that happens. I'm wondering who at Eagle, how many at Eagle are going to make serious change that leads to a significant yes to the Lord? How many of us will step into the work that the Lord has for us in such a way it will require the Lord to show up or we will fail? What about the mission that you are currently living on will fail if Jesus does not show up? If Jesus does not show up, I will not reach my neighbors who celebrated some festival to some unknown gods yesterday. I cannot do that in my own little strength. What are you engaged in where if the Spirit of God does not come and show up and do something, it's going to fail? Who in here is going to step out and plant a church? And who's going to support them? Who's going with them? We make that way too complicated, friends. There's, there's a young man who has had some significant season at Eagle who's launching a church today. We've been prayed for them today. They're, they're going to try to reach a tough area. Who's next? Who's going to say yes to heading off to some challenging place as a missionary, carrying the gospel into a place where they might die for it? Who's going to reach the neighborhoods and the schools surrounding this building? It's our invitation for today. Some of us still have to say goodbye to Babylon. You've probably felt like you've been drugged a little bit through these last couple weeks. You're like, whoa, 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 whoa. I haven't even decided to leave yet. have to say goodbye to the comforts and the safety the abundance and the acceptance that comes and then start across the street from your house it might be a literal invitation let the Lord tell you and then ask the Lord to lead you deeper and deeper into engagement in his mission you can't say yes in the status quo there's no margin there for any of us so specifically what changes back of your note sheet. You have plenty of space. Don't do it now. You need some time before the Lord. Take that home. There's three questions back there. We'd love for you to sit quietly with the Lord and answer these questions. What changes? And when will it change? And be honest about that. Don't say right now, okay, if it's not right now. When's it going to change? And so that we get to do this together, who are you going to tell? Who are you going to go to and say, hey, I want you to know the change that I'm making in my life so that you can encourage me, so that you can hold me accountable to that change. And I hope, friends, that none of this sounds like some sort of burden that you don't want to pick up. Because it's actually the invitation of Jesus to lay our burdens down. This rat race that we live, this like going for success and being elite and chasing after stuff. And it's laying all of that down so we can take the burdens of the Lord. That while it may cost us our lives and while it may not be super comfortable, what a ride. Because the enemy is trying to steal and kill and destroy. And Jesus has offered to us the invitation, whatever the invitation is, is abundant life. What will it look like when God gets all that he wants in and through Eagle Church? As we say yes to that, and we do it together. Lord Jesus, would you please be gracious to us as we live in a culture and a society where everything feels a lot like it did in Babylon. We live in the jewel of kingdoms, a place from an outside perspective that has it all. And we get to enjoy it. Jesus, I pray that you might stir and shake us in such a way that we would see the opportunity to lay down the things that we pursue. To make a significant commitment of change so that we can say a significant yes to you. God, would you give this to us as individuals and as families? Would you make it specific? Would you excite us about the opportunity that we have to say yes to the mission of God and a city get transformed? Would you help us to think beyond what we know, to think beyond what we've seen, even beyond what we can imagine, and step out in boldness, for a project that if you don't show up, we're not going to be able to pull it off. And if you do show up, these neighborhoods are going to be changed. Our schools are going to be changed. This community and town and this area is going to be changed. And Father, I pray specifically for individuals right now who may be sensing a call from you to step out in some ways that are going to cause them to have to leave Eagle. Jesus, may our hands be open for that. We're not building our kingdom. We're building your kingdom. May we rally around them that each one of us would be able to do our part, that you would rebuild the wall, and whatever that means for us in this time. Father, we make ourselves available. We look forward to what you're going to accomplish. In Christ's name, amen.